You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it, people who know what it's like to live, work, and minister in small, out-of-the-way places, and to know the immense value of uh, what God's doing there. I am your host, Joe Epley, and today we get a chance to have a conversation with Pastor uh, Jamie Austin, and we're going to walk through some of his journey. Uh, He's had uh, several roles, has a strong heart for next-gen ministry, uh, but also gets the the luxury to see uh, multiple rural churches to figure out ways to resource them and outfit them and and I just love the insights that he brings walking through his own journey and then in the role he's in. And so I'm going to let him tell his story. Uh, but the first thing we want to say is, Pastor Jamie, how are you doing today, sir? Man, I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you today. Yeah, well, we're excited to dive into your story. Uh, the first thing we'll ask you is just kind of something we ask all our guests um, to give people a little bit of, a little bit of clarity. But uh, can you maybe describe your background in ministry and your connection to the rural church? A little bit of where you've been and what you've done and what you're doing now. Right. Well, hey, I grew up here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the Oklahoma AG. And uh, some you may ask, well, what does that make me? Uh, how, how am I connected to to sure, rural ministry? Sure. Well, if you're in Oklahoma, you are connected to rural ministry, whether you like it or not. Even By default, in- it's stamped on your birth certificate, actually. You know, <laughs> you got to have some type of a, a rural bent, you know, uh, in some way shape or form. I, I, I now pastor my home church where I grew up, where I was saved. Felt the call of God on my life when I was in high school. Ended up at Southwestern Assembly of God University. Through that, I, I interned and was a junior high pastor, children's pastor, lawn boy at a town a, 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 at the time was rural. It's not anymore. It is now it's oh, a sure. thriving suburb of Owasso, Oklahoma. There, I launched uh, to Western Oklahoma, lot in Fort Sill, a military town out in the expanses of Western Oklahoma and spent a bulk of my ministry time in in youth ministry in student ministry which uh, you I think you and I talked yesterday I still I'm absolutely head over heels about yeah, for sure about ministry it's it's uh it's youth ministry but uh in 2009 my wife and I accepted the call to come back to my home church to be the senior pastor here in northeast Oklahoma and Tulsa and uh, we've been here now 14 years so so that's kind of my journey it's been a wild one so yeah, and um, tell us a little bit. Um, I know you said one that you also serve, I think, in district leadership in Oklahoma, and then in addition to that, uh, you mentioned that your church has maybe uh, planted some churches as well, and and that I think uh, shows a little more of the connection as well. So why don't you walk us, you know, tell us about those two things? So uh, I currently serve as our corporate secretary for for the Oklahoma district. So. Churches and minister issues are, are what I get to do in my my spare time and love serving our district superintendent, Dr. Daryl Wooten, and serving the ministers of the Oklahoma district. We got a phenomenal, phenomenal. In fact, I, I don't just say this. I feel this to the core of my being. We have the best district here. We are a family, the OKAG network family. So I get to serve in that role and, and really enjoy it. As a result, I am connected to churches all over the state, in our big cities, in our small out-of-the-way places and really, really enjoy what we do. When I came to Woodlake, I, I was coming out of a youth ministry, and really, you have delusions of grandeur. Uh, <laughs> sure. 
You're like, I've arrived as a lead pastor. Didn't get paid much still, but it's okay. You know, uh, youth ministry came easy to me. And um, I, when when we felt like the Lord again, calling us to being senior pastors, I I think I had in the back of my mind, we were just going to come in and run and gun like we were youth pastors. And it was just going to be really easy. And about 30 days in, I thought, dear, dear Lord, what did I do? (laughs) You know, I think I called my senior pastor about once a week for the first year going, I'm so sorry for, you know, as a youth pastor, you think you know everything, right? And, oh, yeah. Then you become a senior pastor and realize, oh, you, your vision's got to be bigger than just just next gen. And and uh, the cool part about it, I always say this, uh, I care more about next gen as a senior pastor than I ever did uh, mm. as a youth pastor. So that, that doesn't go away, number one. But um, our church was uh, probably, you would call it a revitalization. Sure. Uh, phrase when I started was was very foreign. Uh, in fact, I think Dr. Mark Rutland had just released a book called Relaunch that would really kind of begin to provide language to what revitalization was all about. So so Woodlake in many ways, although a great church, was in need of a, a revitalization, a relaunch, a, a turning of the ship, if you will. I, I say this because I grew up here. Uh, yeah. It was a church that uh, had an incredible legacy. I've always said this, but one of the greatest barriers to a successful future is a successful past. And oh yeah, that's for sure. Facts. We were resting on our laurels, and oh, but you remember. In fact, I'll I'll say this: I, we were a big missions church. Always have been, always will be. But I can remember walking the hallways and seeing all these plaques and trophies that we received during missions, and and uh, I thought, well, you know, the worst thing you can do for a church is give them a plaque. Uh, yeah, because we had them displayed, and we were still we were still living off that successful past and it was very successful, but the neighborhood had changed. The church context had changed. So we spent, uh, been, been here going on 15 years now and, and spent a much, uh, a lot of that in, in turning the ship. And the Lord has been so faithful. We can talk about that later. My connection to the rural church is, is kind of interesting. So not just my, not just my district role, uh, but we have two packed churches, parent affiliated churches, and they were churches in rural settings here, uh, around Tulsa County uh, that uh, one, the doors were going to completely close. And I'm giving you probably a little more history than you No, know. this is great. I love it. In the 90s, the decade of harvest was a big initiative. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So our pastor at the time, I was in high school, right before he retired, he um, he actually built one of our churches that's now a packed church uh, in Glenpool, Oklahoma. <laughs> nice. Forward, all these years later. Uh, the church was uh, going to close, and I, I just couldn't bear to see Pastor Brummett's vision close. So that's sure. kind of how we fell into this. We I, I p- petitioned our district. I said, can we just try something? So I sent a staff member over there and about 25 individuals, and so far, so good. That, that was in 20, goodness, 2013, 2012, 2013. we got a thriving church over there now, uh, great youth group, great kids ministry, impacting that community. They're giving to missions, I tell you, which to me is such a testimony. Yeah, of a huge support. thing. Yeah. Plant or launch, how generous they are. Uh, our second packed church is in Turley, Oklahoma. That's North Tulsa County. Uh, it's you, you come out of North Tulsa, which would feel very urban, very inner city. Sure. And then you get into Turley, which Turley is rural. So it has kind of these, it straddles the line between rural and inner city. Uh, what, what do I mean by that? You can drive down the neighborhoods around Turley and there still be horses in backyards or somebody's got a couple calves put up that they're they're feeding out, uh, chickens, that that sort of thing. So really different, uh, really different community. The pastor, J.J. Jennings, 
was actually, he and I grew up together in this church. We were in the youth group together and he's been there oh, nice. in time, but he was bivocational, really didn't have a lot of help or a lot of resources. And uh, we'd partnered with him for years and it just made sense. Hey, we need to bring you on as a packed church. You need to be full-time. You need resources. We need to be able to send people to you. And so you'll probably feel that in me. I, I'm a huge proponent to whom much is given, much is required. And it's sure. not about building my church. It's about building the church of Jesus Christ. So packing churches, planting churches, parenting churches, whatever you want to call it, um, is where, where my heart is. And in Oklahoma, most of those contexts are going to be rural. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I love that. One of the things we've uh, appreciated on this podcast, uh, as long as I've been doing, it, is just the idea that uh, rural takes many different forms, you know, because there are places where no matter how big the town is, uh, you're rural because that's the type of people you are. And that's just what it is. And it's funny to see those interchanges where you go from skyscrapers and city streets to chickens and horses and and just right. big backyards. And so um, let's walk through some of your journey here, because um, obviously in, in multiple ways, you get to uh, raise up leaders, equip leaders, all these things. And so um, how does the rural church specifically, how do you feel like it does in terms of creating opportunities for people to learn ministry within the local church? Because some pastors might make the case and say, well, you know, I'm trying to do a million things as a lead pastor. I want to get people involved, but what does that look like? So how is the rural church set up to help, you know, pastors do that? Absolutely. You know, I found in rural settings, rural settings in many respects are very forgiving. So especially somebody starting out in ministry, and if you got good shepherding skills, good people skills, now I'm, of course, Tulsa is a big city. Uh, and, and my wife always jokes that I would have done much better in a, in a rural setting where sure. I could deal every day you know uh in fact in my office i got i got so much taxidermy it's em embarrassing but <laughs> um but but i would say this the, the margin of error is huge you can go there and learn uh, be appreciated in fact a lot of these rural settings now some of them are difficult i, I i'm not not but not not uh yeah, i'm playing that yeah realistic because some of them can be very difficult however i think by and large the margin of error is huge you can go you can learn if you feel called into ministry, there's opportunity. Whereas in a large church, you have a staff member or somebody stipend that's filling a particular role. Whereas in a rural church, uh, there's room at the table to exercise people's gifts, callings, and anointings. In fact, I encourage all of our rural pastors to do just that. There's somebody, they, they go to a youth camp, they're called of God, but you know they get married, they start having kids. That call never goes away. God, God doesn't change his mind just because we change our mind. And, sure. and there are going to be a lot of people that might be, you know, they already have a career. They're already raising a family. But, man, that call is still on their life. And the rural, rural church provides a lot of opportunity, preaching opportunity, number one, uh, where it's gone away in many big churches. You can still have opportunities to, 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 to uh, get, your, get your feet wet in preaching and teaching and leading and pastoral care, community involvement. I always say this. Uh, in fact, I'll use our, our one of our pack churches, Pastor JJ Jennings at Turley. You know, he he'll run on a on a on a great Sunday. He might run 130, 140 people. He took it over with about 15. Um, oh wow! JJ, we affectionately refer to him as the Godfather of North Tulsa. In his context, he is a mega church, and his level of influence in the in the school systems up there and and uh, and community government that sort of thing. JJ. Nobody, city council people don't do anything without asking Pastor JJ. <laughs> oh, what to do? So, so the ability to make a huge impact is is right there in a rural setting. 
Sure. I love that. And uh, and it's cool to hear you uh, reiterate that because it's something that's come up before is this idea that like the rural church is a beautiful place because you can, you have the opportunity. And often it's even birthed out of a pastor's own need. You know, you, mm-hmm. you might just look around and go, man, I can't possibly do everything we have to do. I have to, I have to invest in somebody, you know, and, and that can really flourish into some amazing, amazing relationships. So thank you for diving into that. Let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, because here's one that that I think your district role could play to, because it's a tough question for me, because uh, it's one that we struggle with as well, and I think a lot of people would say they struggle with, is how do how do you how do pastors like try and attract other pastors like associates and otherwise to come to their rural church? And you could take this anyway. You could say, hey, what does a pastor have to do to create that culture, or what are some practical ways to reach out or what are some of the practical things you could do? How does, how does a pastor get creative when they know they need a youth pastor, a kid's pastor, someone professional, they might've tried to develop it, but they got to bring them in. How's, how are they going to make that a reality? Cause it can be a struggle, you know? Yeah, it really can. You know, in fact, I just had this talk with a, with a, a rural pastor this morning, he came in and had coffee with me. Sometimes you've got to start where you're at. If you're like me, I tend to be very driven, very type A. And, and there's sometimes because if I don't feel like I can start at a certain level, then I won't I won't start at all. Oh, sure. And the truth is there's somebody in the church that could do something and it may not be at the level we want it. But let's get the oh, ball. Interesting. Sure. And here's what I found. Leaders attract leaders, movement, uh, synergy, that sort of thing. So I would say, number one, look around who's who's uh, John Maxwell used to have a saying I love. He would say, there's gold in them, their pews. You got to <laughs> mine gold. And it might be, it might be, you know, some of our rural settings, we've had grandmas who are the youth pastors and they're still going to youth camp. And, you know, uh, which is incredible. They, I mean, first of all, you know, <laughs> but they run 20 or 30 kids and they pastor the fire out of those kids. They decide, are they cool? Absolutely not. But can right. they cook? Yes, they can. Are they dedicated? Do they know the word of God? So I, I would say this, number one, don't overlook who's right there with you. Mm. And just because they may not function at a at a particular level or maybe something you've seen, that doesn't mean that you can't use them right now. Uh, be realistic in the expectations. What does that look like? Be willing to invest in them. That's another thing, too. I, I think I think uh, pastors in rural contexts, they are, they are probably the best at, number one, having the time, maybe not necessarily the financial resources, but the time and energy to invest in somebody who's, who's willing. Mm. Yeah, I got you. Don't overlook who's already there. Nice. Very nice. And if there was somebody who still, even after those steps was looking from the outside, what are ways that you've seen churches get creative to bring in staff? Yeah. I know here in Oklahoma, we have something we call OSOM or DSOM or Oklahoma School of Ministry. Oh, sure. A lot of credentialed ministers. And this has kind of been something we've been kicking around as a district is like, why don't we not only have a a, a, a credentialing pipeline, but let's have a placement pipeline too. So, hey, you're coming out and uh, you might take a getting your certified level, your license, the ordain, whatever it is. You know, what is the call of God on your life? Well, you might say, I'm interested in next-gen ministry. Well, let's have a next-gen track on that. And then at the end of that, if you come out of that, say, hey, here's here's X amount of churches. I've said this about the Oklahoma district for, for a long time, or even just our section here in the Tulsa area. There is no shortage of ministry opportunities. I think mm-hmm. sometimes we have to, sometimes you kind of have to wade through people that that really want a paycheck. There's not always money attached to these opportunities. Uh, yet, 
you know, sometimes people need to get in, roll up their sleeves up and see what happens, make themselves available. But uh, I had, uh, if you're familiar with Jeannie Mayo, uh, she has yes, a say- yeah, legend in youth ministry for sure. I tell you, she used to say this often. I was in a mentoring program with her for many years. She she would say, you know what? You cannot steer a parked car. Mm. And so I think I think we need to um, challenge and and speak into those who are pursuing credentials, maybe going through Bible school or our district school of ministry. Hey, when you when you get credentials, do something with them. You are not called to sit but you're called to do something great for the kingdom of God. And there is no shortage of opportunity And the rural church is one of the greatest places you can plug in. I love that. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit, going back to your uh, brief mention of the word revitalization, right? Obviously part of your journey has been taking that church from A to B to say, Hey, you were good. You are in a current state and we want to get you to this place of health and growth and newness and refreshing. And so, um, I am certain uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that plenty of our world pastors are in a predicament where they look around at their church body and go, man, I would love to see some newness, some vitality, some changes. Um, But that can be a very painful process. And so, and again, getting real practical, what are the first steps a pastor could take to start to make those painful changes in their local church? Like, how are they going to, how are they going to start that process? Well, I, I, I will say this, number one, I don't know about in your district, but our district here, we have a shortage. And we noticed it about 10 or 15 years ago, there began to be a shortage in staff pastors, especially Mm. next gen uh, children's and and youth. It it got to the point where there wasn't even people to interview. And I, right. Right. When I graduated Southwestern in 1998, there were 200 of us that came out with credentials and raring to go. Now that's hard to find. So, I, I, I'm, I'm saying that to say this, there's a shortage of ministers. And then number two, there's, there's become a shortage of senior pastors. Part of this is I think most people in today's day and age, if you go to a church, by and large, that church you go to is in need of revitalization. Mm-hmm. Some like my church on a large scale and others may, may be in little ways, but but all churches are, are going to be in, are in need of some form of of revitalization. What I would tell that pastor is this, know that going into it. I remember in the early days of Woodlake when I realized, oh my goodness, uh, we're having to rebuild literally everything. Uh, what do we do? In fact, I used to talk to my church planning friends because that was 14, 15 years ago. Church planning was the really cool thing to do. Yeah, 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 for sure. I was so jealous of those guys that yeah, they go, yeah, but you got a paycheck. I'm like, yeah, but you don't have the problems, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but but I would say this is you've you've got to be tough. There's no way around it. Um, I had a had a retired minister. He's since passed away, but he said this. He said, "You know what? You've got to have skin as tough as a nine year old squirrel." I thought that was a pretty foreign concept, but I, I'm assuming what he meant by that was you've got to be really really tough if if you want to be involved. If you if you if you're going to go through a revitalization, I'll describe it this way. You remember the old skeleton keys? You know, the yeah. old old key that you. It's like being stuck, like your key stuck in a door, turned sideways and ripped out. It's it's going to test every fiber of your being, your mental, emotional, your spiritual walk. It's very difficult. Uh, some days you're going to be a hero, and then you're going to go see, go through seasons where it just feels like you're the villain, especially when you're making staffing changes or leadership changes. Or man, I can remember in the early days here at Woodlake, you know. I'd be met in the hallways by people with tears streaming down their face, but we didn't sing him number 129, you know, on. Yeah, that's tough. 
and I grew up here, so I kind of understand the emotional emotional attachment. Sure, what sure. I say, what I would say to pastors, number one, expect the need for revitalization. If you're going to a church or maybe you're in a church and you think, ah, we don't need revitalization, then you need revitalization. Oh, sure. You need right revitalization before you actually realize it or, or not, but expect it. Know that it's going to be hard, but know that God's going to call people to you. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that God calls armor bearers to us. I know in the early days, I had a bunch of retired ministers. I had a bunch of ministers that were between positions that just hmm. landed. And for that, some of them we ended up hiring. Others, they were with us for a reason, and some were with us just for a season. But while they sure. were with us, we leveraged them. Uh, in their calling to do great things for God. And then when it was time for them to go, which I always hated it, but we blessed them knowing that it, that it was God's church. Here's what I know about church revitalization. We serve a God whose one of his expertise is bringing dead things back to life. Mm. Uh, you know, Ezekiel, the prophecy, man, those dry bones. I, I tell you, that was a picture of the nation of Israel. But but I tell you, that's a picture of the church, the modern church. Sometimes those churches look dead and dry and lifeless. Oh, but give God a chance to see that he can raise a church up and they can live again and do great things for God. In fact, I'll be honest with you. Revitalization is one of the hardest thing anybody will ever have to do, but it's also one of the most rewarding as well. Mm. Yeah. So speaking of those difficult seasons, though, because the process of revitalization, one, you can make the argument from what you just said, that it should be constantly kind of making adjustments in our life uh, to keep the church yeah, flowing towards Jesus, looking towards the future, all that stuff. But in addition to that, there are seasons of revitalization, typically near the beginning and probably in the middle and also the end, uh, where it's just difficult and it's uh, and it's hard to do. And so and just like any any great undertaking, a building campaign or a reorganization of church governance, like the the potential for ministers to flame out, to burn out, to quit is high. And yeah. so how does a minister personally sustain themselves? And I'm talking about what are the rhythms, the emotional safeguards, the habits, the people you surround yourself with? What are these things that are going to help a minister stay the course when that process of revitalization is just terrible, you know? Yeah, and there will be moments of that. I I can remember Pastor Bob Potter. He's he's in heaven now. He was retired, senior pastor, pastored all over Oklahoma. He was in our church. And we were at the height of, of change. And I'm I'm saying some of the stuff was so little. We'd paint a wall and it was World War III. Or we wow. remodeled the room. This is a true story. In the nursery, when I got back here to Woodlake, this is my home church, there were still toys in the nursery that I played with in the 70s. <laughs> so, hey, if so, it ain't broke, you know. One of the first things we did is go through with trash bags and just throw stuff away. Uh, you wouldn't believe the young people. Now, I was young. I'm not as young now. 47. I was 33 at the time. You wouldn't believe people who were my age and younger who they threatened to leave church. I wanted my kids to play play with those. That sounds silly, but it is what yeah. it is. I remember we were at the height of of change. Um, of course, obviously, music was changing and. We were, were we went from suit and ties to uh yeah, more know, relaxed, yeah, for more sure. Relaxed. Boy, that was you it's like I was tampering with the gospel of John. <laughs> I remember he pulled me aside one time because I, I I there's a tendency when things get tough in church as a leader, we tend to get get in defense mode mm. in mode. But I would force myself, hey, I'm still gonna walk the hallways, I'm just gonna still gonna be super approachable, super touchable. And that's good, but it's also painful. But I remember him pulling me aside one day. I think um, I have a beard right now, but 
of course, I'm a I'm a '90s and early 2000s youth pastor guy, so goatees were a thing back then. Yeah, I, yeah. We don't. I mean, I we don't have to dive too, too deep down that rabbit trail. But you're right; they existed. I'll just say that. You know, I had a goatee my one of my first years here, and boy, this lady just laid into me about ministers don't need improper to have facial hair, yeah. probably. Yeah, something. And then she said this. I'll never forget. I was standing there. So remember, I was raised in this church. My my grandpa, I mean, I'm, I have a long history. My grandpa was, was in heaven already. She said, your grandpa would roll over in his grave if he knew what uh, what you'd done to his church. It just, just devastated me. Wow. Brother, That's an Pastor aggressive Potter, statement. Pastor Potter kind of witnessed it. I remember he, he came over, put his arms around me. He said, young man, he said something I'll never forget. He said, listen, remember this. You work for him. You don't work for them. Mm. And and what and it just dawned on me, and I, I tried to live by this. This is the Lord's church. Number one, He's responsible for it. Ultimately, yeah. He He does all the heavy lifting in the church. Yes, is it going to be painful? Yes, am I going to have to work hard? But Jesus is the only one that's called to die for the church. Period. Mm. So I've got to keep that in perspective. It's still not by might nor by power, it's by His Spirit. So remember that. Number one, it's His church. It's ultimately on Him. Number two. Uh, we were talking about Wood Lake and revitalization, and I, I, we were in a particularly difficult season. Finances were tight. You know, you, you kind of, man, are we going to make it till next month? And you've got to be okay with the fact that you just might be that church's last chance. God's into giving last chances, and it comes in the form of a pastor. And he said, you got to be okay. You you might be their last chance. I, well, Dr. Rutland, what if the church folds? He said, are you giving it your all? Yeah, then you may be their last chance. God's going to get in behind you or not. I tell you, you, I cannot say enough. You've got to have healthy relationships, hmm. not just in the church, but outside the church. I was fortunate and still am. I have pastor friends all over Tulsa, all over Oklahoma, our district, all over the nation. That's the cool thing about being a part of the Assemblies of God, man. We are a fellowship and I, people need to quit griping about that and take advantage. Because I'll tell you something, during COVID, I'm, I'm getting on my high horse now. Yeah. Tulsa is the land of the mega non-denom church. I mean, we got church on the move, transformation. I'm friends with all that's church. Uh, I'm friends with all these guys. I remember during COVID, us yeah, meeting say, yeah. and talking with these guys, and they were so jealous of the assemblies of God because yes. what COVID forced us to do as pastors, we in the AG have organically, and uh, we need to take more advantage of that. I segue to say this. I had several ministers that, man, if I had a hard day, I was having a hard season. I could call them. I could complain a safe place to complain, gripe, yeah. get coaching. Some of them, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I'm so thankful for the ones that loved me and told me to suck it up. You're going to make, make it through. This is nothing new. And, and uh, so I would say that uh, number one, remember you work for him. You don't work for them. Number two, be okay with the fact in a revitalization, you just may be their last chance. And then number three, Make sure you are cultivating relationships in your life and, and they're going to get you through. And then when you come out the other side, make sure you are that for somebody else. Mm. I love that. That's really cool. Well, the last bit, it, it kind of overflows with a lot of what you already said, but I know that uh, one of your gifts is to encourage. So if you were to speak right now and you, you knew that what you were about to say was going to be to somebody in the depth of that season, how would you encourage them just from one pastor to another? How would you be that person in their life? I would tell them this. Number one, you're going to make it. You mm. will make it. You know, Zacharias said it. It's not by might nor by power. It's by his spirit. I, I look, it's fun working on 15 years here at Woodlake. 
looking back, I look back and it almost takes my breath away. I'm like, wow, God, look what you did. Because there mm. were years that I thought, I don't know if we're going to make it. I, I don't know. If <laughs> yeah. You're just holding on. You I, know, you know I, I just waiting for deer season to come and I'm going to just go to the woods and just stay there, you know? Um, but I would tell somebody you're going to make it. It's still not by might nor by power. It's by his spirit says the Lord lean into the strength that the Holy Spirit provides, number one. Number two, if I were to encourage somebody, if I was to be an encourager, I always try to make sure that if we can provide resources, whatever that is, most of the time that's financial. If we can provide resources to a church that's going through revitalization, we do just that. So there were moments that people helped us through some difficult seasons here at Woodlake. So I, I make sure if it's in my power to... Um, to help in a revitalization effort, I, I will. In most cases, those of us that are concerned about it, if you you get home missions giving credit for it in a lot of respects. Here in Oklahoma, we do. So there's there's a little caveat to give, but if it's in our power to give, we give. Uh, and, and, and two, not it's not just mon monetary resources. Man, we've loaned worship teams. We've loaned children's workers. We've filled pulpits with people. In fact, I, I, our church kind of has a reputation. If you're a if you're a rural church or maybe a small church and pastor, you need to go out of town, call us. We got somebody that will mm, come fit and we make sure to do that. We open up all of our meetings, whether it's staff meetings, whether it's sermon planning meetings, uh, exec team meeting. I open that up to pastors. There's some that just come and sit there just because they want to be a part and glean. There are, there are many churches that come and say, Hey, can we preach that you're in this sermon series on the book of Romans? Can, can we preach that? Like, yeah, come on. Uh, we're going to share our resources as, as, as much as possible. Churches are open. I, I tell you, in my early days in revitalization, every church I called for help or coaching, they were more than happy to mm -hmm. take. And I'm telling you, some pretty big churches took time out. And I sat in pastor's office. I, John Lindell, who's in Springfield, Missouri, a yep. little struggling church called James River. Uh, yeah. You know, 20,000 strugglers. You know. I, remember, I remember just calling his office and saying, hey, is there any way I could just... I had an hour meet. It was, it was, it was like 30 minutes. It ended up being like an hour and a half just sitting in his office, just getting coaching. Herbert Cooper, People's Church. I don't know if you're familiar with that in Oklahoma City, Edmond area, you know, several thousand person church. Man, he, he not only did he let me come, he said, bring your whole staff. We'll give you a tour. They gave us lunch. Um, I could go on and on and on. But I would say this. Don't sit there and think that nobody's willing to help. There's nobody to call. Mm. Every church I called was more than willing to bless me, bless Woodlake, bless my team. We just had to go take advantage of it. That's huge. Well, Pastor Jamie, I just want to say thank you for your time today. This was insightful, and I'm, I'm really excited to share it with our listeners. You bet. Man, thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. Absolutely. Well, hey, from all of us at Rural Advancement, we just want to say once again, it is our pleasure, our mission, our goal every single week to bring you content, not just spoken to you, but spoken by people who get it, who care, who are on this journey with you. As always, if you benefit from these conversations, uh, you know, we ask that you find another minister and just let them know that this is here as a resource, uh, because uh, I've always joked with people. I said, you know, no matter how many people are listening, I am learning a ton. And so uh, we'd hope that you share this with someone around you. But for this week, I've been Joe Epley. He has been Pastor Jamie Austin, and we will see you next week. <laughs>